Well, hey everyone, it is so good to be with you. Like Chris said, my name is Lynn Beanick, and for those of you who don't know me, I've been in Madison since I was a kid. I actually grew up on the west side. I went to Middleton, go Cardinals, if there are any Cardinals out there. I grew up at another church in Madison, but when I was in high school, I learned about Blackhawk, and I actually asked my parents if they would bring me on Sundays and drop me off for service. There was just something about Blackhawk. I wanted to be a part of it. Years later, I'm still here in Madison. I still am a part of Blackhawk Church. I'm now married for almost three years to a guy named AJ. AJ and I met through serving with a missions organization called Next Step Ministries. Maybe you've heard of Next Step or been on a trip with them before. Through working with Next Step, I had the chance to speak on dozens of mission trips, really all around the nation for years, which led to some really cool opportunities for me to work in student ministries. And now in recent years, I get to work here at Blackhawk with the college age and young adult communities. Like Chris said, part of my role is that I get to speak pretty regularly to our college age community. In fact, I think we have a picture of me speaking at a college age event and also a picture of AJ and I. Can I just say that it is so wild getting to be up here today. Having come to Blackhawk for so many years and attending, I never imagined that I would be invited up onto the stage. It is truly an honor, and I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for watching. When the teaching team first came to me and they asked if I would like to teach on a psalm, I knew right away what psalm I wanted to do. Psalm 40. It's a psalm that has meant a lot to me in my life. God has taught me a powerful message about hope for the places that have the deepest shame in my life. And so we're going to look at that today. And actually, this lesson in my life began back when I was in high school. You know, I wish I could tell you that I always made great decisions growing up, that I was always asking my parents to take me to church, right? Well, the truth is, I made some real mistakes. And today, I want to tell you a really personal story about a time that I really messed up as a high school kid. Now, you might be thinking, whoa, we're going all the way back to high school? And others might be thinking, high school, you know, you don't really look that much older than that. But yes, we are going back, because that's the thing about shame. It tends to stick around. It tends to follow us. Now, in high school, I was a pretty good kid. I did well, I never really got into trouble. Well, one thing led to another, and I started hanging out with a different crowd. I became sort of quietly intrigued with the things that my friends were getting away with. I started making decisions in my life that I never imagined I would ever make. Long story short, one day I was in a store and I made the decision to steal. That's right, if you weren't paying attention before, you're probably paying attention now. Now I wish I could tell you that it was somehow something heroic. You know, someone was hungry and I stole them a sandwich, right? But that, that's just not my story. That's not what happened. The truth is, I was going through a really difficult time, and it was playing out in some really strange ways. And on that particular day, I was in a store, and I saw something I wanted, and I decided to steal. 
I can remember the day clearly. I remember being in the store and stuffing the item in my bag and it felt like things were going all right until I looked up and I made eye contact with a manager across the store and I knew right away I was in big trouble. I remember my knees starting to physically shake and my heart starting to beat out of my chest and I will never forget the look in his eyes as he stared me down. I knew I needed to get out of there and fast. So I hurried to my car, I threw my bag in the trunk, I got in the front seat, and I'll never forget as I was reversing out of my parking space, I looked in my rear view mirror and I saw two managers from inside the store. And I watched as they recorded my license plate on a clipboard. Humiliated, overwhelmed, and honestly terrified, I drove home and I felt fearful. I had just ruined my future entirely. I didn't have any hope that I could get out of my mess. Now let me ask you, have you ever felt hopeless because of your past? Have you ever felt overwhelmed by your own sin and your own shame? Maybe you got caught doing something or maybe you lost your temper in public. Maybe you said something that you can't take back or you made a mistake that cost you in a really huge way. These types of things can cause us to feel shame. Now I realize that some of you might be looking at me right now thinking, how could this young woman possibly understand the type of shame that I'm dealing with, the situation that I am up against? And let me be the first to say that I get that. I cannot relate to every situation out there, and I don't know what you're going through. I won't pretend to know. But what I do know is that shame tends to follow us. And there are all types of reasons why people are here today watching online with shame. And I talk to some people who have marriages that are falling apart. Some people are in custody battles for their kids that seem unending. Some people have lost their businesses, facing financial ruin. Some of us have a pile of bills we can't see the end of. And for some, there's a discouragement and a devastation that we keep sliding back into these old ways that we can't seem to overcome. For some, we look at our lives and we're just not sure how we landed where we are today. As we look to David's life, as we look to Psalm 40, we see that David knew all about shame. And what we can learn from David's life is that no matter the mess you may find yourself in, and again, I don't know what mess you might be in today, but no matter the mess you may find yourself in, we can have hope because God can deliver us. Let's check out Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Psalm 40 for the director of music of David, a song. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on the rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in Him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, 
the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, there would be too many to declare. Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do a will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs on my head. And my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, Aha! Aha! be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. The Lord is great. The Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. You are my God. You are my God. Do not delay. Do not delay. Do not delay. So David talked about being in the pit. So what is the pit? Well, David describes the pit as a place that is slimy. It's filled with mud and mire. It's a place that's dark and lonely and hard to see. Man, when I got caught stealing, I felt like I was in a pit. I felt like I couldn't see my way out of the mess I had created. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt like you can't see your way out of your own mess? Now, we don't know where David was exactly when he wrote Psalm 40. But if you're familiar with David's life, we know that David spent a lot of time in the pit. David was on the run for much of his life for survival. There was a king who wanted him dead. People were out for his life. We also know that David messed up a lot. David had an affair with a married woman. He slept with her. He got her pregnant. He even had her husband killed just to try to cover it up. David was familiar with the pit. And what we see from David's life is that there are really two main ways that we find ourselves in the pit, and both come back to evil. The first way that we find ourselves in a pit is due to the evil inside of us. Jesus referred to this when he said, out of a person's heart, come sinful thoughts, which leads to actions, like stealing, for instance. Another way that we find ourselves in the pit is due to the evil outside of ourselves. This could be like the sinful actions of another person that causes us to land in a pit. Throughout David's life, we know that he encountered the pit many times, but he also encountered the saving help from God. Let's read from the beginning in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 40. David wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. 
He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So we know that David was in the pit when he wrote Psalm 40. But here he begins by remembering a time in the past that God previously lifted him out of the pit. Look what he says. He says, I waited patiently, and then essentially, God did the rest. Look at everything that God did. It says, he lifted me. He set me on a rock. He gave me a place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth. David is showing us something about the order of things. He's saying, look, my job was to wait, and then eventually God came through for me. This is sort of the way it works today. (laughs) There's waiting before there is deliverance. Now, right now, maybe you are waiting on God in a really big way, and you might be tired of waiting. When you read a verse like this, you might even feel annoyed when you read the words, I waited patiently. If that's you today, I just want to say that I get that and I'm with you. I personally struggle with waiting on God. I wish God moved on my timetable. I can't help but wonder if maybe David felt this way too, which is why he's telling us I had to wait patiently and then came my deliverance. But look what God does next. It says, he turned to me and heard my cry. He turned could also be said, he bent down to me. I've heard it put that God's attention becomes fully arrested by our cry. Now, I don't have any kids, but I am an aunt. Um, So I'm around kids. Maybe you're around kids. But man, kids are just always falling down and getting these injuries. And I'm always amazed how quickly my big sister can bend down and scoop up a crying child before I even know what happened. It's as though she doesn't even have to blink before her attention is fully arrested by their cry or their fumble. This is sort of the way God feels about us. When we are in the pit, when we cry out to God, he is already there. We've arrested his full attention. David goes on. He says of God, he says, he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Do you see what David is doing here? David is giving us a powerful visual here. He's saying, look, I was down in a slimy pit where I couldn't even see, and now I'm on the rock. I've got a place to stand. In other words, he can move forward. He can take real steps now. He's moved from a place of total insecurity to security. And then God goes over the top and puts a new song in his mouth. These three verses of Psalm 40, this is a summary of the gospel. We have a God who can take us from desperation to deliverance, from the pit to solid ground, and he can put a new song in our mouths. In fact, this is exactly what happened for David. Let's read on in verse four as David praises God. He says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you have planned for us. None can compare with you. 
Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. I love how the first word that David uses here is blessed. You know, what comes into your mind when you think about being blessed? My guess is that many of us think of, you know, having nice things, maybe having wealth, having people in your life who care about you. Maybe you've got a sign on your wall that says, you know, grateful, thankful, and blessed. Now, there's nothing wrong with those signs. In fact, I love that kind of a thing. Um, But here's the thing. Verse 4 does not say, blessed is the one who doesn't struggle, or blessed is the one who has a big house. It says, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. This means that you can actually struggle and still be blessed. Now, some of you might be tempted to tune out right now. You're thinking, how could I possibly be blessed when I am stuck in the mess like I am? And it sounds like crazy talk, and I am here to tell you that I agree. This sounds crazy. But I think that's why David is telling us this. He's saying, look, this won't make sense according to the world in which we live, but guess what? You can actually struggle and be blessed because blessed is the one who trusts in God. Maybe you're thinking right now, you know, I think I trust in the Lord. I I want to trust in the Lord. How do I know if I trust in the Lord? I don't have a perfect answer for you. But what we see in Psalm 40 is that those who trust in the Lord, they usually talk about it. They talk about God's greatness. Man, when I think about people in my own life who trust God, I know they trust God because they're always talking about it. They're the people where when something bad happens, they respond by saying, oh, this horrible thing happened, but God. But God. They're always bringing it back to God's greatness. Now what's truly crazy is that David is in the pit while he wrote these words. David was praising God while he was in the mess. Can I just be honest with you that when I am in the pit, my natural reaction is not necessarily to praise God. My natural reaction is to worry to text a friend, call my dad, watch Netflix, spend money, try to make myself feel better. Yet we see that when David was in the pit, his reaction was to talk about trust in God. So why could he do that? Because God has lifted him from the pit before, so he has hope. Surely God can lift him from the pit again. Let's see how David goes on in verse six. He talks about the type of life that God desires of us. He says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. You see, David gets that God is not interested in a religious life. Some of you are like, whoa, (laughs) what's she doing on the stage? Of course God is about religion, right? Here's what I mean. God is not interested in just seeing us on Sundays 
or in our weekly sacrifice. What God is interested in is knowing us, being in real relationship. In fact, David writes in verse six about God. He says, but God, but my ears you have opened. Well, what does that mean? The word opened here is translated from the Hebrew word kara, which means to dig out. David is essentially saying, look, there was so much stuff in my ears, God, I couldn't even hear you, but you came in and you dug out all that stuff so now I can be connected to you. You see, again, it's all about relationship. God didn't just dig David out of the pit and say, you know, good luck walking. (laughs) He dug David out of the pit and then he dug out his ears so they could be connected. David's story can give us real hope today. If God could do this for David, he can do this for you and me. He can dig us out of the pit and he can dig out our ears so we can be in relationship. David goes on in verses nine and 10. He speaks passionately for God. He's excited. He essentially is saying, God, I will tell anybody what you've done. I will tell my story to the masses. You can count on me, I won't hold back. He's passionate. This reminds me of sort of the way I have felt after attending like a large Christian gathering with thousands of other believers. There's this sense in me of God, I will tell anybody who you are. I will tell anybody the story of what you've done in my life and in the lives of others. See, David is living like the blessed person here. He's struggling, but he's still trusting in God. He's modeling for us that we can be in a desperate place. We can be in a pit and we can still praise God because we can have hope. He can deliver us. See, David gets that his story is meant to be shared. You see, his story is his song. Now, it's important to know that David was a musician. He was always writing songs. Something would happen in his life, and he would respond by writing a song. Sort of like Taylor Swift, you know, life events lead to great music, great albums, great songs. Now for all of us, even the non-musical today, your song is really your story. It's your story of what God has done in your life. David understands that when we share our story with others, it can actually help other people to believe too. This is why we always talk about life group here at Blackhawk, because we believe that when you get with other people, when you start hearing the real stories of what God has done in other people's lives, it leads to transformation. Now, it would be great if the psalm ended here. David is like, God, you are good. You know, you've delivered me. I'll tell anybody but the psalm isn't finished yet. Remember, David is in the pit while he wrote this. Let's read from verse 11 and see how things start to change. He says, Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. So what 
just happened. <laughs> Nothing about this sounds like the first 10 verses, right? David was living on the rock, and now he's back in a desperate way. He's like, look, my troubles, there are so many. They've like ganged up on me. I can't even see clearly. He's not claiming innocence. He knows he's messed up. Man, have you ever felt like you have got so much trouble around you that you can't even really see clearly? Have you ever felt so discouraged for falling back into a bad way? Man, I think many of us get this feeling today. This is the type of shame where when you wake up, it's your first thought in the morning, and when you put your head on the pillow at night, it's your last thought before you go to bed. It's the kind of shame that sticks with us. David is showing us something about shame. He's saying, look, shame, it's not just about other people, but he says, my sins have overtaken me. My sins are the reason I can't see. This is so important for us today because it means that following God does not mean that you won't ever find yourself in a pit. Just like David, our hearts fail within us. And just like David, we can cry out to God when we are in the pit. We can cry out for him to take us back to life on the rock. David he talks about his enemies. He's like, God, there are people who want to take my life. But again, he's trying to live like that blessed person who trusts God. He's like, God, you deal with my enemies. I'm going to keep trusting in you. And finally, David ends Psalm 40 with a prayer in verse 17, which says this. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. Man, I love how David describes himself here as poor and needy. You know, who says this? It's like we love to be called positive things. That's why we know people in our lives named faith and hope and joy, but not many of us want to be known as poor, needy, and desperate. You know, it's like, hi, my name's Desperate. Nice to meet you. Probably not. You see, we don't think of being desperate as a good thing, but David seems pretty unashamed about it. He's like, look, I'm a mess and I need you, God. David is sort of dramatic. He began the psalm with the words, I waited patiently. And now he ends by saying, God, do not delay. In other words, he's being totally honest with God about what he feels. He's like, God, don't be late, <laughs> right? Like you see, I'm in a mess here. Throughout the whole psalm, David is remembering a time that God lifted him out of the pit. And he has hope that God can do it again because he's seen it, he's lived it, he's known it. So what does this mean for our lives? It means that no matter the mess you may find yourself in, no matter the mess, we can have hope because God can deliver us. You know, I still remember how hopeless I felt driving home from the store after I got caught stealing. I felt like there was no way out of my mess. Maybe you're wondering what happened next. 
I remember getting home and I came in the house and I saw my dad and I collapsed into the couch. I was too ashamed to look him in the eyes. And I said, Dad, I did something really stupid. And my dad, he calls me Lindsay. He said, Lindsay, kid, whatever it is, it can't be that bad. And I said, no, Dad, I did something terrible. And he said, all right, well, I'm going to make a turkey sandwich. And I'm going to eat my sandwich. And while I do that, you can tell me whatever happened. And whatever it is, I am just here to listen. I knew I had to tell him. So I told my dad about the stolen item. I told my dad that they had my license plates. I told him that I felt like my world was about to close in on me. And I'll never forget what he said. And he said, all right, well, we've got to go back there. We've got to return it. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> like you, you want me to go back there? I can't go back there. He said, Lindsay, they've got your plates. They're coming for you. So we either sit here and wait for a knock at that door, or we go right now and try to make this thing right. I was afraid. I didn't think I could go back in there. So my dad said, look, let's go. I'm driving. And by the time we get there, if you can't go back in the store, I will go in for you. So we drove to the store, we got to the parking lot, and as we sat there, I told him, I, I can't do it. And just like that, he popped the trunk, hopped out of the car, and I watched in the side mirror as he retrieved my stolen item. And as the trunk slammed shut, I watched him walk to the entrance of the store, and I can honestly tell you, I had never felt so ashamed to be me. It had been all but three or four minutes when the driver's door opened and my dad was like back in the car with me. And I turned to him, just anxious to hear what he had to report, what happened. And, he, and the first words out of his mouth, he says to me, all right, let's go get some Dairy Queen. And I was like, wait, what? You want to have DQ now? He said, Lindsay, how do you feel right now? You feel devastated, totally ashamed? And I said, yes, with tears streaming from my eyes. He said, are you ever going to steal again? I said, no way. <laughs> he said, that's right. Now you're my kid and I love you. And what I want is to have DQ with my daughter. So let's go. You know, I often think back to that day and I wonder how differently my life might look had we not gone back to the store and had my dad not gone in for me. And look, I don't know what kind of earthly father you have, but this looks a lot like the heart of our heavenly father. Just like my dad went into the store on my behalf when I was too ashamed, we have a God who went in on our behalf. God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty, to pay the price for our sin, for our shame. God dug Jesus out of the ultimate pit of death on a cross and raised him to life so that you and I, we don't have to stay in the pit. We can have hope because of Jesus. God can dig us out of the pit and he can dig out our ears so we can be in relationship. No pit is too deep. You cannot outsin the cross of Jesus Christ. After that day, 
I went to God for forgiveness, and you better believe I never stole again. (laughs) But here's the thing, I was still in the pit. You see, years went by. I was afraid to tell my story. I didn't want anyone to know what had happened. It's like shame was still following me around in my trunk. But years went by, and now many years have gone by. And here I am, because praise God, he lifted me out of the pit. Now it's part of my story. It's part of my song. Do I like to tell this story? No, no, not really. (laughs) But it's part of my story. And if we wait for God to give us a story that we like to tell, we just might miss out on the greatness of the story that he's given us. So here's my question for all of us today. What do you have in your trunk? What shame have you been living with? Man, some of us live with so much shame, it should be paying rent in our lives. Some of us have been living in the pit for so long, we've tried decorating the walls, trying to make it more bearable. But we can have hope today, every single one of us, because God can lift us out of the pit. Following Jesus does not mean that the pit won't ever happen. The pit happens, but when it does, we can turn to a loving God and cry to him. While we wait for him to give us a song because it's his timeline, not ours, we can be encouraged by the song of others. We can remember his faithfulness in the past. And one day when he comes, when he turns, when he lifts you, when he sets you on a rock, when he gives you a place to stand, when he puts a new song in your mouth, you get to tell everyone what God has done. God may have greater plans for you and your story than you could ever imagine. If you are in the pit today, there is hope. God can lift us out of the slimy pit and he can put a new song in our hearts. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for the truth that you love us so much that nothing came between your love for us, God. Thank you for sending Jesus on our behalf. Thank you for showing up so we don't have to stay in the pit of shame. And I pray today, God, that people who are hearing this, who have those hidden things that have been following them, God, I pray you would set them free, that they could lay it down at the cross. Thank you, God. We thank you and pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. It is so great that on a week like this, where we are focusing on shame, that we can come together to remember the cross, to take communion together, that we can remember how God went in on our behalf. And so as we get ready to take communion with Pastor Chris, I encourage you to reflect on the questions on your screen. What shame have you been living with? What do you have in your trunk?